0: As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, please, to pray with me. Father in heaven, I pray that you would grant grace to us, to open up our minds, to understand, open up our hearts, to receive, that is, to believe. And Father, that this would become so a part of us, That when shaken, we would know that you're good and that your steadfast love endures forever. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Psalm 118. Psalm 118 please. Hear the word of God. O give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I call on the Lord, the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. But I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he's not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you've answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. I will extol you. Oh give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Now, I chose this Psalm 118 on this Sunday, Palm Sunday. Because it seems as if this was the Psalm that was in the minds of the people as Jesus entered Jerusalem on that day Jesus made his way then to the temple. Indeed, it was on the mind of Jesus. It's a processional psalm that is in the days it was written and it was used in ancient Israel in some sense to get a picture of a procession to the temple. People coming to it. We call it also these days a Eucharistic Psalm that is a Psalm of thanksgiving, really. It's a giving of thanks. We see it, give thanks to the Lord. And so it begins that way. And in fact, that's it, isn't it? It's one of those Psalms that, that begins with this great thanksgiving, the most common of all biblical expressions. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. It would be good, wouldn't it? For that to be in our minds all the time. Yes. The monks of old, and even in current day, monks often as they enter the monastery are given a rope. And the rope has little knots on it. And uh, depending on, I suppose, the industry, the industry of the monastery, some have a hundred knots, some even up to a thousand knots. It just depends on the length of the rope and the, obviously, the number of knots. But it's given to them because they're to pray through it. Every time they put their hands down the rope, there's a little knot and they feel it. And they're to pray generally this. It's called the Jesus Prayer. It's called, it goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. And the reason they're given this rope and the reason they pray that through is that it's a training for their mind so that at all times they're thinking, no matter what else they may be doing, and again, if they stop doing and stop thinking of other things, what comes to mind because this is such a habit is this, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I must confess I use that often in my own life, especially if I'm driving by myself or if I'm Trying to fall asleep, from I should, hopefully not at the same time. But uh, but 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 in that sense, you see, when my mind to train our minds, our hearts to think that why? Well, because it's true. It's a great prayer, of course, and it's something then that that works in us and, and conditions, if you will, our own hearts to live humbly. To know who we are before God. To know who we are before others. And if this is the, the thought really of our heart. Lord Jesus Christ have mercy upon me a sinner. If that's what I. That's my default if you will. That's a good default isn't it? To think like that. To pray like that. Have, that's where your mind goes. Shouldn't we put this one in us as well? Give thanks. I know, we don't do this very often. Say it with me. I know it's not up there. It's not in your bulletins. It's not hard. Let's just say it together, right? Give... uh, You're supposed to talk when I talk. Okay, here you go. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Again. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Again. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, For his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, buy yourself a rope. Figuratively or literally, but allow that. Wouldn't that be a great thing? That when something good happens in your life, that's what comes to mind. Wouldn't it also be great when something bad happens in your life, that that's what comes to mind. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Wouldn't it be great if that's on your mind when you're sitting in the doctor's office, in the counselor's office, waiting for your appointment? Wouldn't be that be great as your as your as you're as you're hearing from a friend good news or sharing with a friend bad news. Wouldn't that be great to be what's on your mind all the time? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures. Forever, wouldn't that create in us a spirit? You see, we are to be, the people of God, always to be a thankful people. Not to be a resentful people, not to be a bitter people, not to be a complaining people, not to be a regretful people. But to be a thankful people all the time. And so this was built into the very liturgy, if you will, the very approach to God in the life of ancient Israel. In in their very approach to the temple. What they should be thinking as they're coming to the temple is give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. In fact, this was the refrain, you see, always as they thought through their lives. Psalm 106, 107 are are, are psalms which, which lay out, if you will, the life of Israel. It went something like this. God is good and God blesses. Israel forgets God. God reminds them through discipline of his goodness. Israel remembers God and repents. God blesses. Israel forgets God. God reminds God of Israel of his goodness. By way of discipline, they repent. God blesses. And so, when the history of Israel is laid out, this is the refrain. Always give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. They would know that. In fact, when the temple itself was 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 dedicated by King Solomon. Uh, this was this was what the Levitical singers and this is what the musicians would play. And they would sing it. To, they sang it together as the as the temple was dedicated. And when that happened, the big cloud came. You remember in the temple, the very presence of God. As the people of God gave Him thanks, recognized who He was, and praised Him that He is indeed good, and His love is steadfast and endures endures forever in fact when jehoshaphat do you remember jehoshaphat when jehoshaphat was facing all of his enemies and he had no real army to speak of and he knew that he was doomed and he knew that he'd be killed and he sought the lord and the lord said send essentially the choir that is to say go sing what do you think they sang the lord is good his steadfast love endures forever in fact when the psalmist of 136 laid out the history of Israel he couldn't help but say one line about the history of Israel and the next line had to be for his steadfast love endures forever this, and his steadfast love he couldn't even wait two lines he, he went line after line after line and in between every line of the history of Israel this was the refrain this is how they understood themselves as the people of God and they understood themselves as the people of God uh, for God was good And his steadfast love had been graciously given to them. This expression, God is good, I I think from time to time. And please, this isn't a pot shot at another religion. It really isn't. But the mantra really, the cry of Islam is God is great. Now, our Muslim friends would also say, in some measure, God is good. I would say it's a different goodness and a different God, but they would they would not disagree that God is good. And we, of course, would say, as many of the psalmists say, God is great. But the one thing that God wants on the lips of His people as we approach Him, the one thing He wants us to know about Him, yes, He's great, but you see, a great God who isn't good is frightful. He wants us to know As we come into his presence, he wants us to know, when we come into his courts, he wants us to know, when we approach him in worship, that he is good. That, you see. And not only that he does good, but he is good. As if you scratch him, he's good everywhere. If you shake him, he's good everywhere. He simply is good. There isn't any false motive in him. There isn't any false anything in him. There isn't any malicious intent in him. All about God is good. All that he thinks, all that he does is good, is right. That's good, you see. God is good. Now, I know. No doubt in the days when this psalm was written, as well in our day, there is a question. About the goodness of God. We wonder about the goodness of God. And the greatness of God. But the goodness of God. When there are stabbings. When there are shootings. When the weakest among us. Babies in their womb are treated. Maliciously. When there are. Concentration camps in our history. When there are. Gulags in our history. When there are. Well, you can make the list yourself. But you see, the testimony of this psalmist, really this king, is that God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And he begs, if you will, for a hearing uh, among us, this very one. So much so, he says that everyone should know this. Everyone should know that the Lord is good and that his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say it. Let the priests Halsevarians say that anybody who fears the Lord, whether they're Israelite or not, anybody that you should know this, you should you should really know this because you see what he's saying that God is good and I know it because I've seen his steadfast love. Now this expression steadfast love from people who know these things tell me and this is a difficult expression to translate from Hebrew to English. It's a difficult expression, difficult word to translate from Hebrew to English. We want to say love, but, 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 but when you say that, you sort of say, yes, it is that, but it's that, it's not less than that, but there's something about this kind of love that we, we need to say is steadfast, we need to say is is loyal, it's, it's, it's covenantal, that is, there's this agreement, this binding agreement that, that, that is, that is this love, and, and, and you see, but, but agreements don't have to have love, they can be treaties or contracts, and we so well, yes, but this one's love, this one's based on love, this, th- these vows are made. And there's a commitment here to live by these vows, no matter what. And so we say, well, marriage is like that. We say, yes, it is. Marriage is like that. Based on vows, deep friendships, like the friendship in the Bible between Jonathan and David. That kind of friendship, that's a covenantal friendship. That kind of friendship that says, what's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. We're joined together, as the Bible talks about Jonathan and David, they're knit their hearts are knit together. There's something here. And, and, the, and the something here is love. It's a loyal love. The old Scottish Presbyterians would call it a leal love. Leal meaning loyal. It's a, it's a loyal love. It's a commitment. It can only be broken by the death of another. And if it's broken, it would be the death of the other. It's that kind of Love. And it's a love that's often in the Bible translated as mercy. Because there's mercy here. Because it's the the kind of love that's moved by the weakness and by the misery of another. However that weakness has arisen. However that misery has come. There is this love that cannot not respond. You see, it's that kind of love. It's compassion, really, this kind of love. And it's grace because... It means even when you're undeserving. Even when you're unworthy. And the king is saying, I know that love. Notice the situation, verse 5. He says, out of my distress... I called on the Lord. You can see his distress. It's laid out here in verse 10. All the nations surrounded me. Verse 11. They surrounded me. Surrounded me on every side. First of all, they surrounded me like bees. Yuck. Right? Think about that. The nations surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. That is to say, every place I went, they were couldn't escape them they're always there even if i didn't think they were there i touched oh they're burning i feel it everywhere this this sense of distress and this will help all of us i think to think of distress like this the word literally means narrowed see when we're in distress we feel hemmed in we feel like we have no good options we feel like there's nothing really we can do that will solve this problem, deal with this situation. I'm narrowed, I'm surrounded, I'm hemmed in. We, we can feel like that in our own lives, perhaps not with enemies coming against us, but just with life coming against us, just the, just the general life against us. We feel hemmed in, we feel surrounded, we feel like there's no good solution here that I know. Everywhere I turn, it seems as if I'm unable... To really solve this problem, to really get out of it, to get around it, to make it better. I just realized it's here. And I'm hemmed in. I'm surrounded. It's like bees. It's like fire on thorns. That's what it's really like. And we can get that sense relationally. We can get that sense emotionally. We can get that sense spiritually. God, where are you really? Really? And so he's saying, that's how it was for me. I had no way out of this situation. But then notice what he has to say. He said, the Lord answered me and set me free. And in Hebrew, this is a a play here. We've got narrow and broadness. We have I narrowed, but then the Lord put me in a broad place. Put me in a big place. He set me free from this narrowness. Now that doesn't mean that the problem went away. It doesn't mean that the enemy vanished at that point in time. But what he says is this. He says, the Lord answered me and set me free. He, he set me free from what? My fear. Notice verse 6. He said, he began to reason. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, you know, man can do a lot. Let's face it. Man can do a lot. Think about what we do. Think about what you've done. Think about what's been done to you. Think about what's been done through history. Think about what men have done. So what's he mean? Why would this give him comfort? To to think this expression, what can man do to me? Well, because he was thinking about it in the context of this God who was with him. God, who is good who loves. And then he said, man can do nothing that God hasn't ordained. You might like this language better. Man can do nothing that God doesn't permit. Jesus put it very bluntly. In a sense, he said, don't fear those who cannot send your soul to hell. See, the worst, I suppose we could say this is worst, is that man can kill you. But still, if there is no condemnation after death. And what can man really do to you? And, and so he began to reason like that. If God is at my side, then what can man do to me, really? Um, so I will not fear. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. He says, I can now get a better picture of, of, of my situation. I, I needn't look in fear to my enemy. I can look in confidence knowing that if God is on my side, triumph, however that's defined, will come. And so he says, this is this is it. And so we, we see then his, his summary statement that he wants all of us to know, verses 8 and 9. By the way, I shouldn't tell you this. It'll distract you. But these are the middle verses of the Bible. Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9. They just are. Somebody did the math. Some beautiful soul did the math. Where these verses are the middle verses of the Bible. And they're great middle verses, I think. Not that any of them couldn't be great. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. That is, even if they're the most powerful of men, better to trust in the Lord than to trust in those most powerful men. God will be at your side. God will help you. If he's at your side, then what can anybody really do to you? You need to know that, and so that'll free you. That'll that'll take you to broader places than this narrow place where you are in the moment, when the bad news comes, when the difficulties come, when you don't know what to do. That will take you there. You must know that, he said. And he said, and then the, 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 the triumph came. He said, I cut them off, I cut them off, uh, I cut them off. They pushed me hard, but the Lord helped me. And then he worships in verses 14 through 16. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. It exalts. It does valiantly. Ah, And then he says, verse 17, I shall not die. But I'll live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely. But he's not given me over to death. He knew that. He knew he didn't deserve it. He knew it was from the goodness of the Lord. He knew it was the steadfast, covenantal love. Martin Luther loved this psalm. Here's what he says about it. He says, this is my psalm. My chosen psalm. I love them all. I love all the Holy Scripture, which is my consolation in my life. But this psalm is nearest my heart." And I have a peculiar right to call it mine. It has saved me from many oppressing danger. From which nor emperor, nor kings, nor sages, nor saints could have saved me. It's my friend. dearer to me than all the honors and power of the earth. Why was it? Luther lived an odd life, no doubt. He had people chasing him all the time, it seemed. He was in hiding... And when he was in hiding, what would he think? I'm in distress. My life is narrowed. I have no escape. And then he began to think, the Lord is at my side. What can man do to me? Right? The Lord is at my side. What should I? Whom should I fear? No one, of course. Not with the Lord at your side. If God be for us. Who can be against us, you see? That's what he That's what he knew. In fact, on the it's said that on the wall of one of his studies in a castle where he studied, he had this verse uh, on that wall, verse 17, I shall not die. But I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. He said, that's the purpose of my life. That's why distress comes. Distress comes so that a day can come when we will be set free from it. And we'll know it. And, and then we can speak of the greatness of God. And we don't really see that in the narrowness of the moment. But then you see his heart. Life, minds, hearts, broaden." then we see, oh yes, all right. The purpose for this, as the king said, discipline of the Lord, is that I may have a harvest of righteousness and peace. So says the author of Hebrews. John Calvin, who is known for his bluntness, puts it like this. He says, God does not prolong the lives of his people that they may pamper themselves with meat and drink, sleep as much as they please, And enjoy every temporal blessing. But rather. He prolongs the lives of his people. That they may magnify him for his benefits. Which he is daily heaping upon them. That's it you see. The psalmist said. The king said yes. Give thanks. To the Lord for he is good. And this because. His steadfast love endures forever. You know this was built, as I mentioned earlier, right into the liturgy. That is the approach to God, right in the liturgy of ancient Israel. This is one of what is called the Hallel Psalms of Egypt. And these Hallel Psalms, Hallel means to praise with thanks. Praise these Hallel Psalms, one thirteen to one eighteen, were to be sung really uh, when. Israel celebrated what God had done in their exodus from Egypt. In fact, they were to be used, no doubt, during the Feast of Tabernacles, which would be a great one, even Pentecost, which became known as as a feast commemorating the giving of the law, but most certainly at Passover. These were to be sung, you see, as the pilgrims would approach Jerusalem. It would be on their lips. And they would come, you see, with this particular psalm and, and we see the procession we see how it's given uh, when when the king comes to the gate of, of, of the temple verse 19 he says open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord and then the priests respond, this is the gate of the Lord the righteous shall enter through it and you think well how then is this king going to enter what's his righteousness verse 21 he says I thank you that you've answered me and have become my salvation in other words he's saying the Lord is my righteousness he's the one who's done all of this not me i come i come because of him i'd be dead otherwise it wasn't for the lord and so i come in his name and then verse 22 he says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone he said listen i the king was disregarded by all the other kings we the nation of israel were disregarded by all the other nations they just discarded us and and now really what god has done has exalted us to a point where We're the cornerstone of everything. It all falls apart without us. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We couldn't have made it. This is the day the Lord has made, this day of triumph. Therefore, let us rejoice and be glad in this. And so the people who are there with the king to enter into the temple, their prayer then is save us, we pray. Oh Lord, give us success. That is, If this is true, if God you're like that and you are, if this is true, then save us continually. Don't, don't, don't drop us now. Save us. Bless us in such a way that we always know this great Triumph. So then the priests respond, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you. That you is plural. We bless all of you from the house of the Lord. And the people then say, The Lord is God. That's profound. The Lord is God. That is to say, there is no other. No other God. At all. And you can see how it is that the people, as they're reflecting on the Passover, all of this would be, yes, we get it. We're enslaved, we're weak, we're helpless, we're narrowed, we're, we're hemmed in. Do we have any hope at all? Well, here comes one in the name of the Lord, Moses, who comes in the name of the Lord to deliver us. You see, he's our deliverer at this point. And we see the deliverance of the Lord. And we realize that we who had been the rejected nation are now... The cornerstone of all that is to come. If there is to be redemption, there is to come through Israel. And so we're the cornerstone of all of that. And then we stop and we realize the Lord is God. Every one of the gods of Egypt has been disclaimed from the Nile River to the son of the Pharaoh. We see the very deliverance of God as we faced that Red Sea. And it was open and we walked across on dry land. And they were... Then drown in it. We we see that of God. He is God. And then he says. And has made his light to shine upon us. Now where have you heard that before? May the Lord bless you. And keep you. May the Lord make his face. To shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. He said, oh yes. And you remember that blessing of the priests was so that God could put his name on the people. They would carry that always to know that God's presence, his shining face, his gracious countenance was upon them always. If God is at my side. What can men do to me? If God is on my side, how should I look at life? How should I look at the difficulties? How should I look at the problems? How should I look at the enemies? If God is at my side, My narrow life just became free. So the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, as your presence, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me. In the presence of everything in my life. So then. He says let's have a feast. Bind the festival. The festive sacrifice with cords. And and up to the horns of the altar. Here's my sacrifice. Now let's enjoy. And then his final saying. You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. And then the summary. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Now, there's more to this psalm, I suspect, than the psalmist ever really knew. Oh, it was a great one, as Luther said, that it should be his and ours as well. In fact, if you read Luther further, he says, by the way, you might think i Have no right to keep this psalm for myself. I don't think so either. You can have it too. Take it and be yours. When your life is narrow. Call upon the Lord. When your life is narrow. Think it through. In God. He will be with you. Know that. He is good. That his steadfast love. Endures. Forever. The pilgrims on the way to that Passover, that year that Jesus entered as well, they would have this on their lips, singing it, no doubt, as they entered, and most especially singing it afterwards. You might remember there was an expression in the Gospels that says that after Jesus had enjoyed the Passover meal with his disciples, they sang a hymn. No doubt by that point, it was the last one, Psalm 118. There's much anticipation I suspect as Jesus entered that city on that particular day he had been talking to his disciples about going to jerusalem in fact just like the prophet isaiah said he set his face like flint to go to jerusalem they knew that a point in time had come when no matter what else was going on that jesus was looking at jerusalem all the time he'd been there before but this is different this time and so they were anticipating he had told his disciples what would happen when he got there it created a stir among his enemies. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. They didn't want to kill him then because they, they, they knew the crowds would be there for Passover and, and they, they were afraid of the crowds, but of course Jesus and his father were in control of everything. So it didn't really matter what they wanted. It was going to happen. And so as tens of thousands approached the city, and there was Jesus on a donkey. Uh, The prophet Zechariah said, this is going to happen. A king is going to come on this colt. Matthew adds, never been ridden before. Jesus could even calm the colt. Calm the donkey. There he was. And he entered as a king in triumph, coming in peace to the city. And they saw that and they began invoking Psalm 118. uh, Save us, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and so 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 the Pharisees, the enemies of Jesus at that point in time, well, were upset and they, 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 they were upset that Jesus was taking all of this. And so they said to Jesus, you know, stop them. And I think Jesus may have scratched his head and said to them, you think this is difficult for you? If they stop, the rocks will do it. There's nothing on that day that could stop. The king... From coming to the temple of the Lord, entering through the gates of righteousness. And there he was, you see. And then of course we know what happened during that week, and we'll deal with this as the week progresses in our own lives, but but we know that he, he cleanses, Jesus does the temple, it's not worthy of God. We know that he heals right there in the courts of the temple. There's a sense in which he's saying, these are the people you disregard, but these are the people that God brings in. We know that he curses the fig tree. For it looked like it should have fruit even though it was out of season and didn't. And he was saying, this is the way you are. His authority was questioned, and with all the disciples of John the Baptist around, he said, well, where did the authority of John the Baptist come? Well, was it from heaven or, or not? And, and they couldn't answer, because they knew. But if they said from heaven, they were sunk. Jesus told them a story. He said, well, there are two sons of a father, and the father says, I want you to go work in the vineyard. And the first one said, no, but went. And the second one said, yes, but didn't go. And Jesus said, now, which one was the better son? and they would get it that they weren't the better son they had said yes but didn't so then he tells them a parable and the parable that Jesus tells them is one about a, a master who owns a, a vineyard now anytime you, Jesus or anybody in that day would say vineyard in a religious context everybody knew they were talking about Israel because Israel was a vineyard of God And when a story like that would start, especially from the lips of Jesus at this point in time, they got it, and they understood it. And he said, all right, now he sends his servants to collect. And they killed all the servants. So then he sent his son, and guess what happened? They killed the son. And then Jesus said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And you're thinking, why would builders, experts, why would builders... Reject the best stone, the stone that would hold everything together. Why would they reject it? It's only because they looked at the stone and they looked at what they were what they were building and they said, this doesn't fit. Uh, they missed what they were to be building. And thus this stone didn't fit. But Jesus knew exactly what his father was building. The temple of God. The presence of God amongst his people. And he knew that he was the temple of God, the very presence of God. And he knew that he was fit. He knew that he was everything. He knew that without him, nothing would hold together. And so he said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Which he did. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Did you ever wonder what sustained Jesus during that week? It probably wasn't the crowds on Palm Sunday. I think he saw right through that. I mean, this is great and all, but I know it's going to happen. Psalm 118. I was in distress. I cried to the Lord. He put me in a broad place. He freed me from fear. His enemies were around him, surrounding him. They were around him like bees, like like fire on thorns. And yet Jesus could be thinking, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know my Father. He is, he is God. And so, huh, what can man do to me? They can kill you, Jesus. Yes, but not really. Because my Father has promised That I'll be vindicated. My father has promised. That I'll be raised. My father has promised. And so I will trust him. And so there he enters into all of that. Sin. Taking all of that guilt. And commending his spirit. To his father. Blessed is he. Who comes in the name of the Lord. You see this was Luther's psalm. But it was Jesus' psalm too. His what sustained him. Wasn't it? And This is how he thought. This is how he lived. In perfect trust. All the time. And so he knew. Thus. It's ours. How do we know. That the Lord is good. How do we know. That his steadfast love endures forever. How do we know? That as we approach the temple, the very presence of God. We'll be received through the gate of righteousness. Well, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup. And again after giving thanks. This too he gave to his disciples. And he says this cup is the new covenant. That is. The steadfast love of God. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Shed for many. For the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle says as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup. We declare the Lord's death until he comes. What we're declaring in part is that Jesus is the steadfast love of God. God made a vow covenant. that even in our misery and our weakness and our sin. That he would save us. And he has. Let's pray. Father in heaven. I pray for me, for us. That you would grant us grace to believe and to receive. To believe, yes. The Lord is at our side. That he is for us. Therefore, we need not fear. We needn't fear men. God, we needn't fear judgment. We needn't fear you. We needn't fear the circumstances of life. But you will put us in a broad place. And So, Father, we pray that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way. That we know we're in the very presence of Jesus. That through him we enter into the very temple of God. That through him we enter into the most holy place. And this is where we live. And so, Father, we come to this table of the Lord, this Eucharistic table. And we say, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And this we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you that this table is not the table of grace. Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's the table of the Lord. He invites to it. All who understand themselves to be sinners in His sight. Without hope. Except in His sovereign mercy. And all who receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus. As He's offered to us in the gospel. As the Savior of sinners. And all those who really know that the Lord is good. And that His steadfast love really does endure if that's true for you I invite you to come these two sections come down this aisle to my left these two down the aisle to my right take a piece of bread dip it in a cup and as you do remind yourself that Jesus is the steadfast love of God.